Marini's Media. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Offside Rule WSL edition. Coming up, Alex Morgan has joined Tottenham Hotspur. I repeat... Alex Morgan has joined Tottenham Hotspur. On that note, Chelsea and Arsenal scored more goals between them this weekend than Spurs managed in the 15 games they played last season. Oh, harsh. I'm Lindsay Hooper. And I'm Kate Borsay. And this week, perfectly timed, we're joined by Ask Blog's Tim Stillman. Hello there, thanks for having me back. Lovely to have you on, Tim. And you're now a father. How is it treating yes. you? Yes, yes, really, really well. So uh, little Eva's six weeks old now, so I'm kind of getting used to not so much having less sleep, but having sleep in kind of in instalments, shall we say. So we're recording at just after 10 in the morning, and this is kind of halfway through my, my day. Really, <laughs> oh, God, Tim, I totally <laughs> feel for you. Is there any weight of responsibility yet on your shoulders, you know, passing this wonderful football legacy down to Eva? I, absolutely 100% yes and, and, I, and I must say I had um, uh, the risk of name dropping I had some really nice messages from some of the Arsenal women team um, when she was born as well including, including Vivian Miedema I must say so Aww. you know that that's that's the standard there and um, you know not that I want to live vicariously through my child but I will tell her that's the standard for uh, the next 18 years <laughs> or so. And to, to be honest with you, Tim, it, it's probably come at a good time because you need less sleep in order to keep on top of all the WSL news that's been going absolutely, on. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been mad, hasn't it? It's been I'm sure we'll get into it, but it's just been, you know, it's just been absolutely crazy, but but good crazy. It has. It has. Should we talk Alex Morgan? Um, because we need to get in there quick. Oh, I hang think. on, hang on. I'm Go just on. getting my cup of tea, lifting my finger up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my Who'd have thought? Break. Who'd have thought? I wonder if Alex Morgan would have thought she'd be playing football in England um, just over a year after the tea sipping incident. Tim, do you think this was always maybe in the background for her, or having had a child, and obviously with what's happened in the NWSL over in the states, is this just her taking advantage of a chance to play somewhere else? I th- I think it's the latter. I think this is. I think a lot of the kind of the US moves have been, you know, just because, like you say, there's there's no certainty about the NWSL starting again and Tottenham. I, I think I'd read that Alex Morgan is kind of a Spurs fan some years ago. But really? Yeah, yeah. Which a lot yeah. of Americans are, you know, because they did yeah. this spoof, didn't they? Is it, it's like Ted Lasso over there, and the Spurs are quite big over in the states. Yeah, yeah. That that is quite strange. But also, um, she's a Nike athlete. And, um, you know, Spurs have uh, have a kind of contract with Nike as well. But I, I think this was just kind of opportunism for her. And, you know, she's not played, I think, for 13 months um, since just after the World Cup last year. So this is a really good opportunity for her to get some of her fitness back. And I think she'll have probably seen a lot of her kind of colleagues coming over and thinking, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll have a bar of that as well. Do you, uh, I mean, it is a st- Strange, and I don't want to do down Spurs at all here, but you've got probably the most high-profile women's player in the world. Uh, she has more Instagram followers personally than the whole of Tottenham Hotspur Club put together. She's got more than Steven Gerrard. She's a mega name. She's a very, very high commercial value. Um, what was, do you think, behind the fact that she's gone to Spurs? Do you think she would have been offered to the other teams? Tim, how do you think it worked? 
So I I think that um, maybe should have had a look around. I, I think maybe if she'd have been a bit available earlier in the summer, maybe someone like Manchester United might have been a bit more of an option, but they probably broke the bank a little bit to bring in Tobin Heath and Kristen Press. I, I actually think this is a really good move for her, given that she hasn't played for 13 months. She, she will be a bit short fit. Wise, and she's going to go into a team where she is the absolute star. It makes so much sense for Spurs as well because even a kind of coming back into full fitness, Alex Morgan is a, a big uptick um, on everything they've got, and not just on the pitch as well. I think she'll make a huge difference for them on the training ground, and mm. and I, th- I think I think it kind of works for both parties. It's for her. She yes, this is a team below her level, frankly, but she's coming back up to her level. And obviously, it really, really works for for Tottenham as well. Look, she's had the billboard already. She is the big name and she's certainly going to attract a lot of interest for the league across the world. There are a couple of connections as well to Spurs for her because she's got a couple of teammates that are on loan at Spurs. Alana Kennedy, Shalina Zadorsky. So when you look at Orlando Pride colleagues, that might have been a bit of a draw for her to go to Spurs as well. Perhaps an easy one to fix up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to the to the details of the the league salary um, because I think Tim touched on that with the NWSL. Um, as far as I I've read into this, and as far as I can tell, the league salary is paid for by US Soccer, so Spurs do not have to pay a transfer fee for her services at all. So it's a bit of a steal. It's a no-brainer, isn't it, really? If you look at all the headlines they're generating, what the league's getting from it. But of course, with anything like that, there has to be a downside too. And I suppose, you know, looking around the media, Sue Smith is is somebody who, who highlighted it too, is the home talent question mark. You know, do we need to be providing more of a chance for our own home talent? We've got all of yeah. these NWSL stars coming in. And let's face it as well, these are all, Tim, a bit of a short-term fix. As far as I can see, this is a short-term loan until January 2021. I mean, what are we really gaining from Alex Morgan in the league for that short amount of time? I know what she's gaining. She's gaining um, match time, fitness in order to be selected for the Olympics. And of course, she brings a lot of razzmatazz and and a a lot of sparkle to the WSL. But in terms of the league itself and what happens post-January, what sort of situation are we in with all these US stars that potentially just go back and, and leave? Yeah, I've speculated on that um, a little bit myself this summer for all of the kind of excitement this summer. Is there kind of an equal and opposite reaction next summer Mm. when they all leave again? And we actually kind of realised that they've come over just because this is a really unique situation with the NWSL and with the Olympics um, being kind of delayed till next summer. With with Alex, I think the way Tottenham would look at it, don't get me wrong, I'm sure this is largely a commercial move and I'm sure Nike are in the background there somewhere as well. But when you look at the Tottenham squad, they've got a couple of um, really good young strikers and someone like Rihanna Dean, um, for example, I think Tottenham would look at this and think, well, if Rihanna Dean can just train with Alex Morgan for three months, that might really bring her game on. Um, And and that's, that's a a really kind of positive benefit is it's a positive benefit for Spurs just because she's better frankly than everything they've got for the league. Yes. I, I do worry a little bit 
um, about that. I know we'll come on to other teams later, but I wonder if for clubs like City and United as well, who've who've kind of invested in big US talent, what they do next summer when that talent walks out the door, how they replace it. And I think what's really interesting is that Arsenal and Chelsea, who have two like quite project managers, I'd say, with long-term plans, haven't really got involved yeah, it's true. with the US women's national yeah. team players. And I think it's because of the short-termism of it. Yeah, because Chelsea are, you know, clearly building and are interested in that. And so are Arsenal. What's interesting to mention, I suppose, and how it should be handled is that these players are here on a short term deal. I think it needs to feel like it is, you know, a short term thing, a short term hit. So Alex Morgan comes over, use her expertise, use her glitz for kind of all it's worth. It it basically works on both sides and then accept that it's just going to be a short term thing. I think as long as you are aware that it's a short term thing you take the positives out of that and everyone is on the same page it's only going to enhance the league but I just think that you have to have that short-termism view in that you know a a bit like going on a sabbatical a bit like going traveling it has to be kind of a definite time frame you go and get your till the end of the season you go and get your year but you but you're all aware that that's how long it is use it abuse it absolutely fine and then everyone's on the same page so I, I don't necessarily I think someone like Alec, Alex Morgan coming over will do a lot more good than it than it will do harm and quite frankly you know Spurs have to think along the short sh- short term line at the moment because as Tim pointed out they, they aren't rich in in you know hugely brilliant wonderful players they do have talent there and Alex Morgan is only going to enhance that talent so why wouldn't you? Well, we could talk about Alex Morgan for the entirety of this podcast, I think, but we won't. We'll move on because there are a lot of goals to get through. For the rest of this month, this month being September 2020, you can take out a subscription to The Athletic for the frankly ridiculous price of just £1 a month. That's unrivaled football writing and analysis from the very best people in the business, a brand spanking new breaking news service and ad-free versions of each Athletic podcast, all for just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash offside to get started. You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Dean's Media and The Athletic. Charles. Receives it back from Kerr. Oh, and that is... What a fantastic goal. Camilla Harder. That is world class. Let's start with one of those goals, goals, goals games. Chelsea. They were emphatic, weren't they? They put nine goals past Bristol City to register their first win of the season. It was a frantic first half. Chelsea led 5-0 at the break uh, with Frank Kirby, Marin Mielder, Melanie Lepoltz, uh, Aaron Cuthbert, Millie Brightle scoring. Four more players added to the route after the break. Uh, Beth England with a sixth from close range. Neve Charles scored on her debut. Penilla Harder back healed an eighth and what a wonderful one it was too. And Sam Kerr rounded off the 9-0 scoreline. So nine different scorers. Bristol City on the other hand have now conceded 13 goals across two games um Lindsay uh, poetry emotion this one for you 
It it was, yeah. I mean, in in terms of the fact that they were finding all the space that they needed to Chelsea, I, I thought Emma Hayes really had got the side clicking, and they weren't really troubled very much at all by Bristol. Um, it was the perfect fixture, really, coming off the back of the Manchester United result for them to really just assert some authority, build some confidence. Frank Kirby's looking great, um, and for her to start it all off as well, I thought was the perfect tonic for her. My my question mark, I think, is I, I was reading in some post-match from Emma Hayes um, that she said the fact that there were nine different goal scorers shows the diverse players that we have in our group. So I'm happy about that. Mm. And although I agree with Emma from her standpoint, yes, you know, nine different goal scorers is brilliant. I think from the league standpoint and the gulf between these two sides, I think the fact that you have nine different goal scorers says it all, really. And, and that's the one thing that we don't want, isn't it, in, in the league? When you're attracting all these big players now, we want to remain uh, competitive. We, we want the league to, to really have some jeopardy in it. And, and there is a danger of that not happening going forwards because some of these sides are feeling like they're running away in one direction whilst others are going in another. And, and this was a matchup that I think really highlighted that. And, and the fact that it was nine different goal scorers, nine, you know, there's only you, you one short and then the keeper from scoring. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Everyone had uh, a good old nibble, didn't they? That is and, really worrying yeah. for Bristol, isn't it? Well, um, it is. And it just goes to show when you're bringing on Panilla Harder as a sub in the second half... Um, and her tenacious display. I mean, Tim, that is strength and depth working exceptionally together, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the one question against um, Chelsea and Emma Hayes is how does she keep all of these players happy, yeah. particularly in attack? I, for one, I, I must admit, I thought that Fran Kirby was probably a player who'd be available on the market. And I was wondering if she might move this summer. But Emma Hayes has kind of started her in both yeah. the Community Shield and this game. I think she's made it very clear she still sees Fran as a big part of the plan. So, you know, they've got six, seven players that they can put into that front three. And, and so the question is, how does she keep the balance? Yeah. Um, that won't be decided by games against the likes of Bristol City, but I guess one way is to put them all on the pitch at some point and get them all a goal. And, and just on the point about it being slightly worrying for the league, I mean, I guess the thing I'd point out is that, was it in 2013, Bristol City, when they were then Bristol Academy, nearly won the league. They were they were in it on the final day of the season. They could have won the WSL. And now you look at Bristol City and you just... I, I don't really know how a club like Bristol City can compete mm. um, given the kind of the disparity in resources. And I think it's probably likely, unfortunately, they'll go the way of someone like Yeovil and they'll probably get replaced by, you know, a Southampton or someone with Premier League money backing them. And I think basically the WSL will look like the Premier League very soon. Tim, you mentioned about Fran and, and that being a bit of a surprise to you that potentially she could have been in that transfer window. Speaking of fringe players at Chelsea, I'll, I'll hold my hands up. I thought that Neve Charles was coming in purely to make up numbers and potentially be someone to play in the cup matches and come in occasionally. But she was given time in this match and I thought easily, you know, my favourite goal was that linking up between Neve Charles and Pinilla Harder for that backheel finish. Yeah. It was beautiful. 
and and it really shocked me and I thought well wow maybe maybe Charles has actually got more game time here at Chelsea than I thought so I I don't know I mean it's a, a nice headache to have and I'm sure that's what Emma Hayes would would be saying but I I'm not quite so sure on the starting 11 anymore for Chelsea no, absolutely. And, and and you're right, Neve Charles was another one I looked at this summer and thought, and this was before, because I th- originally I think Pernilla Harder was meant to come next summer um, and they brought that forward. But ev- even without that move, I was thinking, it's, is that is that a player they really need? Yeah. Um, but, you know, Emma Hayes must have signed her for a reason. Um, I think what will be really interesting with Chelsea is what they do in the domestic cups. I think what they're doing, I, I think the WSL will be largely the same. It will be Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City, and it will be decided by small margins. But Chelsea are building to win the Champions League, I yeah, think. Yeah, I agree. But what will be really interesting is what they do in the domestic cups, whether she does have almost a different team. A different team, a B team for that. Yeah, and it's, well, it gives her, I mean, Emma Hayes loves a game plan. Um, she likes sitting down and working it all out and getting the best out of her sides, you know, behind the scenes as well as on the pitch. And what all these players give her is a wealth of different game plans that presumably can be executed during a game as well. So that if you're, you know, if whoever you fielded out in your first 11 doesn't doesn't quite do the job, you can then make wholesale changes at half ter- at half time half term I've got school on the break um to then to then change that that game plan I should just add in that there were some good saves from Bristol's Sophie Bagley too so I mean Chelsea could have got more were it not for Sophie Bagley an interesting comment um from Bristol City's Tanya Oxtoby at the end of the game the manager said very honestly she just said that what what people had seen is two sides at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of the league she said that with a resignation that means she knows she can't compete. Or was that a message to the side's backers? You either back me more, you either give me more investment, or we're just, as Tim said, going to fall out of the league. I, I do wonder if Tim's got a point, though, now with sides that don't have that Premier League side's backing as well from, from the men's point of view. Because if you if you look at the the teams that have got this two two pronged approach if you like they've got this one unity club you know you look at man city and they're they're just one club now aren't they spurs women spurs men manchester united i I think it has to be like that um and if you're trying to compete against those without that backing it's going to be difficult Mm. well chelsea weren't the only team to hit nine past a side this weekend She's going to shoot for the hat-trick, and she gets the hat-trick! Two in two weeks for Jordan. A new stadium for the home side West Ham and a new experience, I say that, well, for this season anyway, because there were fans involved at this one. Um, I don't want to say same old Arsenal here, but for the second week in a row, there were so many goals in a game and it had it all. Another hat-trick for Jill Rod, a brace for Vivian Miedemar again, and a red card for West Ham's captain, Jilly Flaherty. Uh, the Hammers ended up losing 9-1 to the Gunners. They sit top of the WSL table. But I do wonder with this one, Tim, whether the 9-1 scoreline really does tell the tale of the match because... For a time, up until that sending off, West Ham were in this, weren't mm-hmm. they? 
Yeah, they certainly were. And and we saw something similar with the, the Reading game last week as well with Arsenal, where um, that, that was quite even for the first half an hour or so until Arsenal really hit their stride. And uh, I've spoken to Joe Montemura after both games and he, he's really played it down and kind of said, uh, particularly after the Reading game, he kind of played up the fact that Arsenal had had that Champions League game and that they were perhaps physically more prepared than Reading. And he kind of said, if this game had been played a month later, it wouldn't have finished 6-1 and with West Ham I think it's kind of similar had they kept 11 on the pitch it certainly wouldn't have finished 9-1 I still think Arsenal would have won quite handily but certainly not 9-1 and again mm. Joe it, it's quite strange actually because people have slept on Arsenal this summer and all of a sudden they've had mm. these two games and so I've been speaking to Joe during the summer and it's very much we're happy for people not to be talking about us and now all of a sudden people are Tim, talking I about Arsenal. I saw it I said it from the beginning <laughs> I had my eyes open I, I said they've got this <laughs> solid spine and that he's yep. strengthened yeah. just in the right areas in defence. And I, I honestly thought that they were going to be the ones to push Chelsea all the way this season. Yeah, um, and one of one of the things I spoke about with him as well was was the increased strength in depth um, because the, the the size of the squad is largely the same, but Arsenal had a couple of players who couldn't play for two years, like Dan Carter, like Tabea Kemmer, and they've been replaced with players who aren't injured. And he, he spoke about the stimulus in training as well. He said, it's not just in the, he said, you're seeing it in the games, but I'm seeing it in training. There's more people involved. There's more competition for places. And he just said, I think everyone's gone up that half level. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about if anything's significantly different with the way that Arsenal are setting up in just a second. I think what I've noticed, Tim, is just that pressure from the midfield. As soon as Arsenal move forward and get a chance, you see a swell of midfielders swarming in, suffocating the opposition. And that to me, you know, that, you know, packing out um, of that area with those midfield players seems seems to be freaking out the other teams, seems to be leaving the other teams with no options, but 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 but, but just to hold their hands up and say, OK, fine. Um, is there anything different going on that you've seen or is this just literally Joe continuing with what he began last season in terms of how they're setting up? So he, he's continuing, but he, he always makes little tweaks for the opponents. So against Reading, it was a back three and he basically had six in midfield. He put Leo Volti and Leo Williamson at the base and then he had four of Jordan Nobbs, Jewelroad, um Beth Mead and Kim Little. And uh, he's played Jordan Nobbs on the left in both games so far. But but really with Arsenal's midfield, like you say, it's very fluid and everyone kind of runs everywhere. And you've seen how much difference that's made for a player like Gilles Rod as well, because she's just had that kind of security and that freedom to really go forward and burst into the box. And she's another one who's clearly gone up a level this season. But yes, in short, Arsenal just have so much firepower in that particular part of the pitch that they do just swarm and overwhelm po- opponents and there's so much fluidity in it that it's very difficult for opponents to keep tabs on all of the runs. They force people into mistakes, I think, and and that's part of it. Uh, I guess one of the questions, Tim, I wanted to ask about the sending off because I I don't think we should excuse Jilly. I think she's been quite open on social media and said, you know, she let her teammates down. But the sending off was a reaction for dissent because she wasn't happy with with not having an offside flag call. And on reflection, I think it probably should have been an offside call. 
just overall, the level of officiating in WSL now, is this the one area that is just lagging right behind? We've got a professional league. We're now attracting the best players in the world. But when it comes to officiating, it it just stinks of amateur, doesn't it? It, it does. It, it's the part of the league that hasn't kind of kept up with the professionalisation of, of the players and the setups. At, at the same time, it, it's diff, it's one of those things that it's not going to be solved overnight because you need more professional referees. And uh, really the hostile environment I think we create, particularly in the men's game towards officials, mm. makes it very difficult to attract people to want to be referees. And I think it's just one of those things where there's probably quite a small pool of them as well. So as well as work Working with um, the ones we've currently got, it's that kind of attraction piece, and I, I think that will take. A, I, I do think it will improve. I think it's yeah, something but it's just going to take some realize. time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You had Miedemar calling out the ref last week as well, but in terms of this game, I, I mean, it was quite strange because um, I agree. Um, you, you know, in terms of Jilly Flaherty and her committing. Um, dissent. Yes, she was right to be sent off. It was a second yellow. Although, of course, it was based around a decision that was wrong. But then Jilly just needs to needs to stay in control. A bit like Matt Beard said at the end of the game. He said she wears her heart on her sleeve, though. But then another comment I've read from him said that bad officiating could end up costing people their jobs. So there's a bit of a two-sided thing here. Yes, it was right for Jilly to get sent off for dissent, but actually the ref should have called for offside of Beth Mead. She, of course, was offside for the cross to Miedemar for Arsenal's second goal. So you've got kind of mixed stuff going on here. You can't criticise officiating overall, I don't think, when it was right for Jilly to be sent off for dissent. Yeah, and and I I also think that this wasn't an you know obviously I'm saying this as an Arsenal fan, um, but I don't think it was an absolutely egregious error. It was offside. It should have been called offside. If we had VAR, it wouldn't have been allowed. But it wasn't quite as egregious as some of the errors that I think we see in the WSL. I th- I think one of the things that has gotten better as well is the kind of um, the the treatment of more physical play and of certain tackles, which you used to be able to I think get away with taking someone's head off in the WSL and that doesn't happen <laughs> quite as much now. But Praying I remember, it around on a stick. I, I remember you had Farah Williams on the show, um, you know, last season on the back of some really, really, really just basic misunderstandings of the rules um, had gone on in a game between, I think, Reading and Man United. And, and I think we see too much of that type of thing. This, I think, was like a fairly borderline offside call that Arsenal got a bit lucky with, but I don't think it was hugely egregious. Yeah. Can I just say something quick on the commentary of this game? Now, this is me watching on the FA player. It's probably on the um, on the women's football show too. And I won't name names, but I think, you know, West Ham have signed Rachel Daly. She's an England international. She's a huge name in America as well, actually. Therefore, she shouldn't really be being called Rachel Daly. Adriana Leon had been playing for West Ham for more than a season or two. She became Adriana Leone. So for me, just a little point, if you've got England internationals out there playing, even if they've just signed and their name is Daly, D-A-L-Y, they should not become Daly. And I just want to make that point because if this was the men's game, we'd be coming down hard on that too. And the women's game deserves, the very least these players deserve, especially when they're commonly known names, these players deserve to be named correctly by commentators. And that's kind of all I'm going to say on that one. Of course, you know, 
mistakes do happen and mispronunciations happen, especially when you get new players into the league. Of course, what I, what of course. I want What I want to back you up with, Kate, is that, you know, our England captain is Steph Horton and the amount of people in the game still calling us Steph Houghton. If we did that, if we flipped it round in the men's game and we called the England captain by the wrong name, there would be uproar. So I think we have to apply the same to the women's game. Let's get it right. If you're privileged enough to be doing commentaries or to be reporting, especially if you've got lionesses or if you've got players that have been in the league for many, many years, just just check with someone or do your homework or speak to someone that's been working in it for some time because I think those ones are unforgivable, especially the England captain, because you still do hear that. You know, yeah. she's Stephanie yeah. Horton. Okay, we'll leave that there, Kate, but a good point to make. Uh, the goals don't stop in the WSL matches. We've got seven in the next match. Work by Cronin. Back across goal. Advantage double. Fine strike from Hansen. Well, Manchester United were trailing Birmingham City before they ignited a spirited comeback to fight and claim their first WSL win of the season. Despite an early strike from Jane Ross, the Blues turned it round with Claudia Walker's equaliser. Then in Abby McManus' own goal, it was Katie Zellim uh, who got United back on level terms, though, before the break. Casey Stoney's team talk did the trick for the second half, or so it seemed. Ella Toon with a quick goal to put United in front. Kirsty Hansen then scored twice to seal a 5-2 victory for United over Birmingham. Um, Lindsay, I know you watched this one. Um, where did United stall in the first half? Did they just not quite get off to the start that they wanted? They were a bit slow out of the traps, I thought. Um, and I did wonder whether there was a little bit of complacency that set in because Birmingham had shown the week before they they weren't quite ready, were they? They, they hadn't got all their personnel in mm. place. They probably went into this thinking, we might cruise it. We've just drawn with Chelsea. And, and I did wonder whether a bit of that might have set in with United. But Birmingham, I have to say, had stepped up a significant level from the week before. However, the quality within United's team over the course of, of the match really started to show. And in particular... On this occasion, because I know that I singled out owner battle or battler or however we want to say. How do we say <laughs> that? See, pronunciations, because she's come from Spain, battle. Um, but uh, but I wanted to single out Katie Zellum this time because uh, her set pieces, she makes it look so effortless, but her free kick was awesome. And I really did think she was one of the players that really helped turn this game around for Manchester United. Yeah. And I think in terms of showing that they can be behind and come to then go on to win 5-2 will really please Casey Stoney she's someone who in her play she wants to see what they're made of in terms of that fight yeah um how how far they can dig deep and um, I think they really answered her in this in this match and this Tim is a United side without Tobin Heath and Kristen Press I mean yeah. what a salivating thought yeah, absolutely. And they didn't start Lauren James again in this one. And and the reason I um, watched this game was because I'm really interested in United this season to see if they can take that next step. Because what we saw last season was they established themselves as very difficult to beat, especially for the big sides. And we saw that against Chelsea last week. But but they also lost to Bristol City last season. And, and kind of I think the next step for them is getting these smaller opponents, um, you know, at the other end of the league and really dominating them yeah. and really beating them convincingly. You know, we're talking about Arsenal and Chelsea scoring nine. You know, can our Man United now, can they become the team that scores four or five goals against Birmingham, Bristol City? Um, and they showed that they can. And look, 
the signings of Tobin Heath and Kristen Press will go some way to answering <laughs> that question as well. Um, if we're talking about dominating opponents in an attacking sense, yeah. but they they got a bit sloppy when they went one nil up. I I agree with Lindsay there. I, I think they went one nil up early and they thought perhaps it would be quite easy. Mm. But what we really saw, particularly in that second half, was them. You know, aside, I don't think we saw to them that much last season, where they really took the game to the opponent, dominated them, and and punished them as well. Yeah, how do we think Casey will broach adding in? Um, Kristen Press and Tobin Heath, will they be, uh, you know, definite names on the team sheet? How's, how is she going to utilise what they're going to offer her? I, they will absolutely be, I, I imagine they'll be amongst the first, first names on the, yeah, absolutely. On the team sheet. The, the one I'm interested in is how they integrate Lauren James into that as well. Because what we saw, what we've seen a little bit is obviously Lauren's still very, very young. And in some of the bigger games, Casey played her up front, which I think was as much about not quite trusting her in midfield when she really wanted a solid core in those big games. So it was was kind of about keeping her on the pitch, but perhaps in a position where she had a bit more freedom. I'm really interested to see how Lauren James kind of um, Mm. interrelates with, with Press and Heath, because that to me that becomes like a really, really dangerous attack. And then you've got Leah Galton as well. And how does she fit in? And all of a sudden, Casey's got options there and options from the bench. And I think something we should mention as well is there's five subs allowed in the WSL this year, um, which Emma Hayes will make work for her, but something that Casey Stoney can really make work for her as well. Not Mm. something that Birmingham can make work for them very easily, as they hardly had enough players um, just a couple of weeks back. But I, I did want to have a, a word for them because a marked improvement from, from Birmingham. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think the thing is, they've brought in good players. I mean, they've, they've lost such important players like um, Rachel Williams and uh, and Keris at centre-half. And, and, you know, when you lose players like that who are really kind of hardcore Birmingham City, you know, in-the-heart type players, especially like Keris, and you think oh, wow, like there must be something quite bad going on there for her to, to leave and go to Spurs. But they have actually recruited really well. They've just recruited really late. And uh, even the manager only came in a couple of weeks before the season. And I, I think that just might cost them in the end that effectively, particularly when your first game's against Brighton, who aren't one of the bigger teams in the WSL. Yeah, I, I said feel last like week that was an important three points, wasn't it? Yeah, I feel like they've surrendered those points and they might be points that they can't really afford to surrender. I Unfortunately, I do see Birmingham and Bristol City kind of battling it out for yeah, relegation Yeah, in that danger year. zone. All right, well, there's still three more matches to come. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Amy Lawrence, Nancy Frostick, David Ornstein, Ollie Kay and the very best football writers around. If you're not yet a subscriber, take out a free 30-day trial right now by heading to theathletic.com forward slash offside. In a touch of French fancy for Manchester City, welcome back to Lucy Bronze and hello Alex Greenwood at City Academy Stadium. But the home side were held to a draw by Brighton despite dominating possession. And City didn't lack the chances, Kate, but it was a surprise here that it managed to end goalless. Yeah, and I think we need to credit Brighton here too. There's an early chance for Georgia Stanway, Megan Walsh, the Brighton goalkeeper, making some key saves. No shot on target for Brighton, though, until the second half. That happened from Maya Letizia from 20 yards out. Chloe Kelly looked good in this one, pushed forward well again. 
But City, we're going to criticise them again for not being clinical enough in the final third. Too slow with their decision making. Maybe it's going to take them a bit of time as a team to settle, but they need to develop that intuitive edge between them. They need to think ahead rather than just what's going on at that time. And here's a key point from Jesse Parker Humphreys, who's written our five things for the website this week. Man City are yet to score a goal created by themselves this season. Their 2-0 well against Villa was only possible due to capitalising on two defensive errors. And that, Tim, will be something that they desperately need to address, particularly when the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal are knocking in nine each. Yeah, absolutely. I always had questions about not not about the players that City brought in, the players they didn't bring in. They didn't bring a striker in, which really surprised me. They've only got Ellen White as an out and out striker in that squad. And, and she's brilliant, but she's 32. She's got injuries behind her. Does and when Chloe they, Kelly not count as well, a striker he, then? She's a wide forward um, okay. and they've played like Georgia Stanway through the middle. I, and I'm how does really Mewis su- work with that then? Well... <sighs> That's that's a good question because I don't quite know. Mm. And when they really needed a goal, they just didn't have anyone to bring off the bench. I, th- I think th- the thing they lost, they lost Paulina Bremer, who was a brilliant mm. option yeah. off the bench for them last season. And they didn't really replace her. And I, I always felt that that was a bit of a mistake. <laughs> Well, in the penultimate game we're going to speak about today, Reading bounced back from their opening day defeat at Arsenal with a 3-1 win against Aston Villa. Goals from Amelie Eckeland, Laura Bruton and a calm penalty from Farrah Williams. Before the break, we were enough to overcome a Villa side who sparked to life late on. Stina Larsen's penalty ended up being nothing more than a consolation for Villa, though, uh, resigning them to back-to-back defeats. Lindsay, more like the Reading performance that you were expecting this one. Yes. I don't know what happened the first week. Uh, Tim, I'd, I'd really plugged them for big things. And then <laughs> and then Kate reminded me it didn't go quite how I thought it would. Uh, but this was more like it. I thought, you know, Ekeland, I, I think, is is one of the players in the league. Um, I think she's outstanding. Um, at Bruton, that goal at the near post, what a finish that was. So, and then you just top it off, don't you, with the coolness that is Farrah Williams taking a penalty. Is there anyone any cooler at taking a penalty in the WSL I would say even Viv Miedemar can't really rival her for taking a penalty cool big claims and what about Villa though yeah what about Villa though Tim how do you think that they're going to fare this season being the new side again I, I think they might struggle i I, with their kind of summer recruitment, I think I do put their squads above Birmingham and Bristol City. And I think they might do something like Brighton did last year. Um, I think they've kind of bought quite well in defence, particularly Anita Asante. I think that's a really good pickup mm, for them. It's a savvy um, move. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think that this, I mean, Reading are a really good established WSL side and this was much more like it from them. I think this is you know, much more their level than we saw against Arsenal last week. But for Villa, they they might look at this game as one where they could have competed a bit more for a, for a point at least. I, I think it will be quite a long season for Villa, but given they've just come up, um, I think they would absolutely accept survival now and, and look to build from there. And I, I do think they will survive. Well, as we're running out of time, I'm going to rattle on through. So we'll move on next to Everton against Spurs. Uh, It's two wins out of two for Everton this new WSL season. This time, Izzy Christensen popping up with a header, giving Everton a 1-0 win. And it was a Spurs stuttery performance, I think. That's how we describe it. So, Kate, in terms of Spurs and, and them going forward, how do you see them improving? 
Well, I think that they've that they've got to start working together a little bit more, but they've also got to let their players settle in. So we've already mentioned Shalina Zadorsky and Alana Kennedy. It took them 41 minutes to manage a shot on target, and that's just about them settling into the team. You're going to get that when Alex Morgan arrives as well. I think you know, less about how Spurs were defective and more, for me, about how Everton have got their second win out of two this season, how they've made some really interesting signings. And, you know, two of those, Hayley Rasso and Izzy Christensen, arrived last season, but of course didn't get a chance to play. And it's almost like they've had a period of time settling into the club and now they're showing us what they're made of. Um, Take nothing away from Nicolene Sorensen as well. What a great option she is. She started against Bristol City last weekend um, and assisted Lucy Graham's goal. She started on the bench against Tottenham, came on um, at half-time to set up the game-winning goal for... Mm. Uh, Everton. Um, I really like Sorensen actually. She's a very canny signing. Creativity and flair, really, really good for her. And Hayley Rasso as well. So um, look, things look really good for Everton. And it's, you know, it's almost fortunately for them, I think, with so much focus on uh, what City, Arsenal and Chelsea are doing. And then, of course, to some extent, Manchester United as well. Everton can sort of just get on doing what they do. They've made some great signings. We know that they've got some extra investment from the club. And I'm still really excited about them. So fair play. Spurs could have been tricky, but Everton just seemed to handle it really calmly. Tim, are Everton a threat potentially to Manchester City? For, for trying to get into that third spot, maybe. I, I do wonder that they seem to be showing quite a discipline in their play at the moment. You know, the way that they they just had this 1-0 win here, um, they were very patient, but they never panicked. Yeah, I, I, I think they're a really interesting team this season. I, I think maybe they're not quite ready for the top three yet. I think they could be in I that agree conversation with, that. With, yeah. with Manchester United. I think what they will do is they will give um, the top three a bit of a bloody nose. We're talking about kind of uh, rising inequality, but actually Everton and Manchester United, those are the teams that could end up being kingmakers in the title race because I could see them taking points off of teams. Yes. I think Everton have got Chelsea in the FA Cup next. I think that will show you a lot about what Everton's level at the moment is. Well, on that subject, the draw for the semi-finals of the FA Cup's been made. The ties are played on Wednesday 30th of September and Thursday 1st of October. So it will be Brighton and Hove Albion or Birmingham City against Everton or Chelsea and Leicester City or Manchester City versus Arsenal or Tottenham Hotspur. So the semi-finals there and the final at Wembley on Sunday 1st of November. Um, the quarter-finals, obviously we've mentioned uh, the sides involved, but they take place at the end of September actually not a lot of so there's not much time is there Tim between your quarterfinals on the 26th and 27th and then straight into your semis on the 30th and 1st of October but I actually think for the FA Cup this is this is quite a nice way to do it because because then it almost comes its own mini tournament doesn't it yeah, absolutely. And we saw that with the with the Champions League a few weeks ago as well. I, I think it, it it kind of makes it just that little bit more intense and it just makes the season, you know, we were robbed of so much last season. Mm-hmm. So effectively to have an extra trophy to go for. And um, I'd, I'd really like to see a team like Everton make the final as well. I think that could really, because it could like set a team up for the season as well. If someone like Everton could make it, um, yeah. you know, that could really have a, a, a kind of boost on their league form as well. Yeah. Well, we know 
one of Brighton or Birmingham is going to make it through to the semi-finals. So it'll be good to see uh, which one of those. And, and, you know, certainly by what's going on in the WSL, Brighton look like the favourites for that one. So no WSL fixtures this weekend then because it's international break time. I'm going to have a little two penneth worth about that, by the way. Tim, how helpful is it to have two matches in the league and then a break? Not not ideal, really, to be honest. And uh, and some of these internationals, I don't know, I'm a little bit nervous um, about some of the travel, particularly looking at Arsenal players, Netherlands playing away in Russia, um, you know, both in terms of the coronavirus situation and then kind of coming back to a packed league, league schedule again. But I, I don't see that there's any way around it, really. Yeah, I, there are loads of Euro qualifiers happening, as you're rightly pointing out. England, of course, hosting so they don't have to qualify. Um, but yeah, you, you are right. There's, there's a lot of travel happening and it does disrupt the league a little bit. Um, so early on in the season. Uh, move on to some other news from around the women's game. Uh, Kate, some news from Partick Thistle? Yeah, well, they've named three men's first team players as the new coaching team for their women's side. It's thought to be a first in football to have a full-time male player in charge of their women's squad. Check out more women's content as well on our website, offsiderallpodcast.com. There is a French roundup, I'm reliably told. Oh, yes, as well as our usual WSL five things. And don't forget, we are running, of course, um, applications are open at the moment for our female, inexperienced or young writer mentorship. Um, pop over onto the website or onto any of the social channels at Offside Rule Pod to find out more. If you uh, want a career in football journalism and you're nearly there, but you're not quite, this mentorship could be for you. Well, that's all that we've got time for for this week's show. But Tim, thank you very much for coming back on. My pleasure as always. What are we leaving you to go and do? Probably change snappies, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To be quite honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've not been able to get into a game um, yet this season. So I'm hopeful that in October um, I'll be able to clamber back into a press box somewhere in the WSL. A little ever, I'm sure, we'll be seeing a taste of football. Maybe she'll be asleep for most of it, but I can just see you out with a with a with one of those um, papoose things, Tim, yes. you know, with your little daughter snuggled up, getting a taste for things early on. Um, all right, <laughs> that's it from us. Thanks very much to Tim Stillman of Arsbog for joining us. Thanks to you, Lindsay. And uh, we'll see or speak to everyone again next week. Bye. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. Money Knees Media.